we were we were at a stoplight and then I heard the car next to us and someone in there goes, hey, it's that girl from MySpace. of 03, the podcast about the year 2003 and all the ways it changed the world. I'm your host, Helen Grossman, and this is episode six, MySpace. One quick announcement before we get into this episode, we're going to be moving to publishing new episodes every other week for a little while. As I mentioned in most episodes, this is a labor of love and a product of curiosity. I write and produce and host and edit every single episode, which is a lot of work. It's work I enjoy doing, but it turns out it is a lot to do on my own. So in order to preserve the quality of this show, as well as my own sanity, uh, new episodes will now go out every other Thursday. Another little announcement, I am going to be launching a Substack or email newsletter to accompany the podcast in the coming weeks. So listen for an announcement about that or follow us on Instagram at class of 03 pod for links to sign up to get 2003 tidbits directly in your inbox. Okay, so on to this week's episode. I'm going to take a wild guess that sometime between 2003 and 2008, you were friends with someone named Tom. You might not know him by his full name, which is Tom Anderson, but you'd know him by his photo. He's looking back at you from the scrawls on his whiteboard, smiling. You were friends with Tom because we all were. He was kind of like a gift with purchase of signing up for MySpace. In August 2003, a few employees at an internet marketing firm called eUniverse set out to create an alternative to Friendster, which is widely considered the first social media network. Friendster was founded in 2002, and by early 2003, it had over 3 million users. But as the site kept gaining new users, it couldn't keep up technically with the increased traffic. Servers were crashing, the site was slow to load, and users grew frustrated. Tom Anderson, Krista Wolf, and some of their colleagues recognized this opportunity and grabbed it. They launched and created MySpace in 10 days. MySpace was kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different kinds of socially oriented sites. It had the social networking component of some of the internet's earliest networking sites, It had aspects of an online dating profile. 
a little bit of the music sharing ethos of Napster and early music forums, blogging capabilities. It was customizable. Your template to arrange the colors and layout and fonts and GIFs if you just took the time to read up on some rudimentary HTML. It had a friend counter, so your popularity was visible to everyone. Of course, you also had your top eight to show off where you were in the social hierarchy or who your favorite bands were. It also allowed people to connect directly with bands and celebrities, really for the first time. It was most popular and influential with bands who could share new music, concert dates, videos, and cross-promote other indie or local acts. If all these things don't sound interesting or revolutionary today, it's because MySpace's DNA is so embedded in our conception of social media that as the starting point, it seems so obvious, so dated. But coming of age with MySpace, and I mean this if you were a teenager obsessively scouring MySpace for bands to pretend you liked and mirror pictures to post as your profile picture, I also mean this for the a broader coming of age of the internet, too, with the rise of Web 2.0. Coming of age with MySpace fundamentally informed our relationship to the internet as individual users and our relationship to the internet as a community playground. If you've listened to other episodes of the show, in particular episode two, Pirates of the Caribbean, you might be able to put the pieces together that MySpace emerged at an opportune moment. As the music industry was shifting, the recording industry was suing random teenagers and their grandparents for supposedly downloading music on Kazaa, iTunes launched and offered songs for 99 cents a piece. Over the next few years, from 2003 to 2008-ish, maybe later, MySpace became the destination for music discovery, as well as a free, sanctioned music streaming platform. The ecosystem of music discovery, listening to new songs, and social connectivity around this music cemented around this platform. And then they sold it to Rupert Murdoch, and it became an ad platform, and... That's a story for another day. But at this precise moment in 2003 that MySpace was catalyzing, there was another conversation taking place around internet communication, but this one wasn't about top eights or forums. It was about unsolicited emails, spam. In the fall and winter of 2003, the House and Senate passed unanimously the Can Spam Act of 2003 which President Bush signed into law on December 16th and took effect on January 1st, 2004. The CAN-SPAM Act was the first national legislation to try to curb the proliferation of unwanted emails. The name of the law intended to use CAN like canning something or getting rid of it, a very boomer way of saying stopping something. But critics quickly latched on to the can-spam name as a calling card that the government essentially sanctioned certain kinds of unsolicited commercial emails. In essence, the law's most important provisions were that all emails must have visible unsubscribe mechanisms and that opt-out requests had to be honored within 10 business days. Senders were also required to provide legitimate physical addresses and could not write misleading or false subject lines. It also required accurate from email addresses. 
Altogether, the government was just kind of saying, if you're sending an unwanted commercial email, here's how to do it. All you really need to do is look at your promotions inbox and your spam folders to see how effective canned spam has been at actually canning spam. At the time of this recording, I personally have over 19,000 emails in my promotions inbox on Gmail and 150 in my spam folder, and it's only 150 because they delete automatically after 30 days. Please don't come at me for not cleaning up my inboxes. There's just too many emails, it's so overwhelming. In January 2003, a conference for programmers took place at MIT completely dedicated to the subject of email spam. While organizers were anticipating a couple dozen participants, hundreds of people frustrated and angry and weary about the spam epidemic showed up. A speaker at the conference told attendees that spam had become the organized crime of the internet. A lengthy February 2003 piece by James Gleick in the New York Times Magazine goes into extensive details about nearly all the different spam categories that the author receives. And his exasperation is clear and also relatable from the beginning. In a perverse tribute to the power of the online revolution, he writes, we are all suddenly getting the same mail. Whether it's the Viagra email or the free vacations, free girls with a Z, get rich quick schemes or the Nigerian prince, the early 2000s were awash in spam messages and 2003 was a breaking point. Perhaps it could have been the end of unwanted impersonal emails, but we all know that corporations usually went out in the end. And as a former marketer myself with years of MailChimp and Klaviyo and whatever other inane email marketing platforms under my belt, it's really easy to skirt the spam filters and follow the law in the most evasive way possible. So while the internet was opening up these opportunities for genuine social connection and interactivity, the floodgates were open for more nefarious players who, according to James Blake, the author of this New York Times Magazine piece, often present themselves as people named Buffy or suspiciously as James. Also, no more constipation 68487 and UG586MIZ5W at msn.com. The internet in 2003 was a weird and wild place. Its legs still growing, its identity still forming. This week, I spoke with Tiffany Kwok, who in 2003 was a teenager growing up in Lawrence, Kansas experiencing the world outside of her hometown through forums, message boards, and her own online zines that she created. She also, in the mid-2000s, was very active and popular on MySpace, as you'll hear. So here's my conversation with Tiffany Kwok, aka Caucasian Without the Cock, aka That Girl from MySpace. I hope you enjoy. Oh my gosh, 
Hello, my name is Tiffany Kwok. In 2003, I was in high school in a place called Lawrence, Kansas. It is a college town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I was on the internet. What were your memories of the early internet? If you were on the internet in 03, oh what were sort of like, what are the memories that come to you of that time? When you're young, you just want to talk to people. You want to learn more about the world and yourself. I I really have a memory of being on this message board called Mad Rad Hair, where it was literally just people who were <laughs> posting about like cool haircuts, very, you know, in the scene haircut, crazy hairstyles um, that were like, you know, proto hipster hairstyles, right? And so those threads were really interesting because I always wanted to emulate a lot of the things that were on there. And so a lot of that was just like posting about cool ways to dye your hair, cool cuts, you know, and then it was like, what shows would you go to? Um, and just kind of posting, posting anything and everything around that. Um, and then I also used to be on like the Backstreet Boys message board. So like not even like in the scene, the cool scene, quote unquote, so to speak. But like, I just remember being on those message boards and that was like particular to like the fandom where we talked about like different songs, our favorite Backstreet Boy. Um, but then I also remember there was like a different message board that I would like peek into. I think it was related to like pop punk. It was like a pop punk message board. And there was the craziest debate about Avril Lavigne. Like that was something that like this thread was like giant and it was a debate about whether or not Avril Lavigne was a poser or not. And I just remember like that, for some reason, like that specific thread was something that I apparently had very strong feelings about because I would check on it and <laughs> see the debate happening. Um, but that also is just like a really early memory of just like people being so fiercely passionate about De like defending pop punk <laughs> against yeah. newcomers and like musicians. Even the idea of a poser way. feels very uh, early yeah. 2000s. Like that yes. word isn't something that we hear a lot anymore, but it right. feels very <laughs> attached to that to that era. Do you remember making a MySpace profile and sort of how that? came into your yeah. uh, into your world being online being on these like um live journal sites you know just where you're constantly online reading other people's like profiles I definitely feel like I found it through one of those channels mm -hmm. um and I was super excited it was you know it was a chance for me to this idea of like creating a profile kind of customizing it showing off who you are friends with was like, okay, that's cool. Like I, I want in on this. And so I just remember like being able to just customize my page, like learning rudimentary, like HTML and like just being that kid of, um, I want this to look cool. I remember having like a block party, like the band block party song quote in there somewhere. Um, I, you know, my, my username or display name was Caucasian minus the cock. And I think that was like, that was also a big highlight where people would be like, that's your username. Like, yes. Okay. That's amazing. So it worked on, it worked in a lot of layers for me. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember my background was like mint green. I love that like seafoam mint green color. And I think I did have a lot of photos like they weren't like full face shots. It was like definitely like looking emo in the bathroom, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like half my face. Yeah, that <laughs> was like down. such a classic yeah. MySpace. 
profile photo, classic. right? It was like hair covering so half classic. your face or like mir- the mirror yes. shot with your digital camera. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember trying out just a bunch of different, you know, a <laughs> bunch of different like, I want to be anonymous, but still look cool mm-hmm. to like, con- you know, conveying that in a photo in like 2003 to 2006 was pretty difficult. Yeah. But- we got there. We got there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trial and error. <laughs> How are you teaching yourself HTML? Like, was it, were there message mm. boards? Like, I think that was one of the most underappreciated mm-hmm. parts of MySpace that like in the transition to yeah. Facebook, which their worldview was like, keep things stable and like mm-hmm. keep things consistent and the world will follow and MySpace was like, this is your space. You could do whatever you want with it. You can have crazy fonts. You can have crazy backgrounds. Yeah. yeah it was a very yeah. different aesthetic and a very mm-hmm. different experience as a user. But what we lost in the transition was this customization. And it also created a generation of mm-hmm. people who now are like, I know some HTML when really we know like how to bold words and stuff. Because of yes. Like, but how are you? How are you learning about totally it? True. Totally true. And so it's interesting because I think my fascination with like learning, you know, even before I realized it was, oh, this is like front end code, quote unquote. Um, There were, you know, like GeoCities, right? Like we had these sorts of like, you can build these different pages and have like your homepage. And so I remember even before MySpace, just like tinkering around with how do I build a website or a web page? And I forget what it wasn't GeoCities, but I used something else. And I just remember having a bunch of different, like, you know, it looked awful because I just kind of want to do everything, you know, like marquees everywhere, italics everywhere, colors everywhere. But then I think with MySpace, it's like, oh, you can make these things look good. <laughs> and so yeah. just kind of like surfing the internet, looking up and researching how to do certain things. Like if I want to build a block on this side, like how do I build a block? And so just kind of looking up uh, different ways to apply that code. And then I would say at the same time I had a MySpace, I also actually had a webzine um, that was dedicated to interviewing uh, like local bands. It was very plain looking, but it was just a way for me to talk about cool music, um, find different bands to interview. And it was, you know, just my my first website, really, like that was and so that was really built by inspired by, you know, all of these different um, Internet holes that I would go down in and all the different like websites I interacted with. But then having the idea of like, hey, I love music. I want to write about it. I want to talk to people who do cool things um, in this industry. And then so just really was able to you know pull pieces together write some rudimentary html css to to get like a site up and running it was it was so fun to just go down the the internet rabbit hole and look up different different things um, that you could do and so yeah even now i'm just like wow i cannot believe i did that <laughs> and i just didn't think of it as a challenge yeah. right because like now i'm just like oh my gosh like like where would I like how would I host this where would I host it how much would I pay there's all these different micro decisions that come with the decision of having a blog or having some sort of website but back then I was just hey this is cool like let's try it so it it was definitely uh I don't know I don't know if it was a better time but it was more creative in a lot of ways because a lot of things were just coming up at the same time yeah it was more DIY, I think, you know, there DIY. was a DIY oh, vibe to it. Mm-hmm. When did you start to realize like that your reach was sort of uh, 
reverberating mm-hmm. beyond you know the middle of the yeah. country i think for my webzine i definitely remember reaching out to a lot of uh like a lot of teens and bands who were out like not in kansas right but still in the midwest and i think there was one band in Iowa that I was just like, I think it was either Iowa or Missouri. And I just remember they were so cool. They they just became friends after I interviewed them. And so we had never met in person ever. Um, but, you know, we, we had such a great like rapport and they were so supportive of just me having a webzine. And so that was really cool to see, right? MySpace is interesting because the, the influence I felt was more local the first time I got recognized, I was sitting in my friend's car. I think it was like the weekend. It was super sunny. We were we were at a stoplight and then I heard the car next to us and someone in there goes, hey, it's that girl from MySpace. And I, I look over at my friend. I'm like, wait, did I just get recognized? And he just like, I think you just did. And so that was like the first time I just was like, okay, whoa, this is, this is kind of weird, but interesting. second time I got recognized, I was actually at Urban Outfitters. I was shopping, I was checking out, um, and then the cashier was like, you're that girl from MySpace. And I was like, I don't even know you. This is so weird. Um, and so that, you know, it's like pleasant, but it was just one of those things of like, hey, like you're my store, you're on the internet, I recognize you. Mm. Um, so that was like, that was fascinating. Um, that was you know, still within my hometown. And then the third time I got recognized, I was actually at a Jimmy Eat World concert. Um, I, I'm sure it was a Jimmy Eat World concert. I don't think it was a different concert. And the one of the like the like the guards or the bodyguards or security guards recognized me. Wow, <laughs> as that girl from MySpace. So those are the three times I got recognized in public um, over a span of just like maybe I don't even know like a few months to a year. Um, while I was still in high school and it was just one of those moments of like whoa like this is a real website and people real people look at it and like you are not anonymous I think we forget how young you are when you're a teenager you know and so that is it is totally but it's also simultaneously like I can't imagine how exciting it would be to be recognized at Urban Outfitters of all places you know (laughs) like it was and it was honestly that was maybe the most that, I think that was the most exciting for me because, you know, I think Urban Outfitters is just one of those places that, like, when you're in high school, it was the place to go, to shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we all wanted to work there. Yeah. And some of my friends did work there. Uh, I ended up working at Urban Outfitters, too, for just, like, a little bit. Some of the features of MySpace, if you don't remember, you could have blogs. <laughs> at the top, it was mm-hmm. your About Me, and then it was yeah. Who I'd Like to Meet, which is interesting. <laughs> sort of like yeah myspace was this hybrid like now that i look back on it i'm like was this about dating you know like was this this sort of a you know who i'm Mm -hmm. looking for so you know it's amazing your blogs who you'd like to meet your top eight and then your interests so general interests Mm. music movies (laughs) tvs books and then heroes do any of those subjects like you know bring to mind anything from your profile 
I'm pretty sure the people I like to meet, it was all like bands I really like. So I'm pretty sure like Death Cab for Cutie mm-hmm. was on there. And, you know, like whoever was, you know, I think the band of the month or the week for me, um, that would constantly rotate. Um, I don't really think I used the blog function like super heavily because I had other blogs that yeah. I, I like focused on more. Um, and so I just remember it was all about kind of like finding cool people to connect to, you know, seeing what they were into and just, you know, finding people who were like, like-minded. Um, I think I had Tom in my top eight, MySpace of Tom. Of course. Did you have a song on your profile? Cause on MySpace you could mm. add a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was oh, yeah. really in some ways yes. like the most expressive you could get about who you were and like what your values yes. were. What were some of the songs yes. that you had on your profile? I think the entire Block Party album, Silent Alarm, like every single song from the album had its time on my page. Mm-hmm. That was that was the breakthrough <laughs> for me, I think, for, for a long period of time. And I so that's like the one I remember the most. It was really fun to just like have that music on there. I think that was like the first time that we can maybe do that. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think so. so I, think, I mean, yeah, because like meaty files. Yeah, you know, it's like having actual like lyrics blaring from like a page. Yeah, it would be like you went on, you clicked onto someone's profile, and then their music would immediately start playing, yeah. which was simultaneously yes. so annoying, but also really <laughs> fun. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like jarring. Yeah, but also like super necessary to just show your personality. It's it's funny to think about when now because I think we have such a specific idea of like internet celebrity and like the idea of like the influencer the quote-unquote like creator and when we think about what like MySpace celebrities were like what what MySpace recognition or notoriety was it's like Mm -hmm. purely just based on taste right like you weren't actually like it wasn't about create creation. Like you weren't creating content in the way mm-hmm. that content creators now are like constantly making videos or like posting spawn con or whatever. Like it was really just about like your expression of self and people's recognition of like, Oh, this is like a cool person who has good taste, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. That is such a great observation because it is, it is so true. Um, And that's why I think it's so hard because for the longest time, right? Like I really, I really maybe benefited from being part of a community that was so non-judgeable. Okay. People judge music tastes. Yes. But you know, it's like I chose to be in spaces that were, you know, that had the similar interests of my own. And so there was like a little protective cushion. Um, And so like having good taste, was definitely something that I think we all wanted to have um, as we came into adulthood, right? It's like, oh, like all these things are interesting and, you know, a really good signifier of what your personality is. And so that's what you sought out is, yeah, I want more of this. I want people to know that like I'm in the know. I think about MySpace celebrity all the time and like Tila Tequila comes up, right? And like she was like huge on on the internet. Um, And so I think there was a turning point in terms of like taste versus like content (laughs) creation that definitely happened on on MySpace. And then I think with Facebook coming on, like things just kind of, you know, took a turn. Things just, you know, devolved. (laughs) It didn't feel like a 
like it was devolving at the time, right? When we when we made right. the turn to Facebook. But in hindsight, I'm like, yeah. why do we give up so easily? You know? Yes. <laughs> why do we turn our backs so quickly? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think about that a lot, too, because with Facebook, there was, I mean, it used to be pretty exclusive mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, you had to have a university or college specific email address to be able to even sign up. So like that was cool um, because, you know, instead of being open, there's, you know, there's like a, there's a step that you have to complete. It's, it's sad how, how that transition from MySpace to Facebook happened, at least for me. I totally abandoned MySpace when it was like, okay, cool. Like there's this other thing I can use Yeah, that is maybe more, I don't know, more, um, more, uh, more mature <laughs> for like an adult me. There is something about it where it's like, you had this moment on MySpace where it was like, there's Tiffany, there's a girl from MySpace. And then at the height <laughs> of that to like mm -hmm. find Facebook mm -hmm. so appealing, I like, I find that so interesting and so curious you know not not in a judgmental way because we mm -hmm. all did it right we all were yes. so quick to be like oh here's this much better version of myspace maybe mm -hmm. it was that it was cleaner a cleaner user experience mm -hmm. i don't know you know mm -hmm. it was easier mm -hmm. to connect with people to send messages to write to post on people's wall you know yeah oh my gosh and like poking <laughs> like poking, i remember yeah poking um yeah it is I do think it had to do with a transition of like, I am not a teenager kind of looking to prove that I am, that I have good taste. Like that was maybe like the turn, mm. removing myself from like local community and then going somewhere else for college. Mm. Like, I think that also had an impact too of like, you know, how would, how would this MySpace, um, how would this, how would MySpace serve me in this next chapter? maybe I didn't know, right? Like subconsciously, I just knew like I had to be part of a different sort of network or community to be able to to find that next phase of my personality and like my coming of age. Yeah, yeah I mean, early <laughs> Facebook, this is mm -hmm. such like a teenage, teenage girly, yeah. like, but I remember like w one of the earliest things on Facebook was that you could see when other people were online. Yes. And... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember being on yeah. Facebook and, you know, like knowing what time of night mm -hmm. the boy that I had a crush on would be on Facebook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like yes. sort of planning, like commenting at that time, which was yeah. so much oh more gosh. calculating <laughs> than, you know. Gosh, so true. And I also think like how we use images and imagery in kind of just in all these internet spaces and places right and you know my space I never really divulge a lot of just like my day-to-day -day, right because mm -hmm. you know I I wanted to remain as anonymous as possible but like still feel like I was giving off you know the best coolest personality I could yeah though with Facebook people could tag you in photos and so for some, for me at least um that was like huge and that oh like this is like a this is a side of me that it gets projected out on other people's like mm. photo albums and things and yeah. so that was also like the era of like those early macbook like photo oh yeah yeah photo whatever booth. the yeah. photo booth right <laughs> and so so that was just like a whole new way of actually expressing um myself yeah i mean it's mm -hmm. it's interesting to think about we talk about like curation now a lot like curation mm -hmm. of your social profile and like the sort of 
on Instagram, like when you curate your feed versus your story and like your profile and it's all, there's this semblance or sense of control that you have as an individual over these profiles. But like, if you actually think about it, MySpace was like the ultimate curate curated <laughs> tool, you know, cause you really like mm-hmm. people couldn't tag photos of you. They could maybe post mm-hmm. photos on your, on your, they could post yeah. comments, but really it was yeah. like, it was the ultimate, like, fact sheet about yourself that you got complete control over your self-presentation definitely um I mean and now it's just like it's opened up so much right it's just everything everything is content content is everything yeah um and in some ways you know it's 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 very overwhelming um and which is I think maybe ironically I you know I don't have a lot of social media these days yeah (laughs) after being way on the internet um in those early years um I just, you know, nowadays it's just like, wow, like I'm exhausted by kind of everything and having to like outwardly express things um, about myself. And so, yeah, it's an interesting arc. Now it's everything is so open. There's just so many different ways that you can post about yourself and it is overwhelming. And I've really opted to not, not do that. What do you think that MySpace had and you sort of touched on it? Mm. But what do you think that MySpace had that we sort of lost in this transition away from it when we all turned our backs on MySpace after they were bought by Rupert Murdoch? Let's just put that out there. It's not like we were, and you know, we maybe had yes. reason to do this. They bugged it with advertising. It, the product itself went downhill. There's a whole story there. But like, what do you think that MySpace had and its sort of ethos of the, you know, one of the most important original social networks um, that we've really lost now as, you know, as a culture, we've transitioned to social media as this content farm, essentially. It's really complicated because at least for me, I really tie it to a specific moment in time where there was a lot of optimism. <laughs> I think about the possibility of the internet And so in some ways, MySpace could have only existed in this period of time that is so specific to our experiences in growing up with like the internet. And I say internet with like a capital I, you know, it was so formidable in terms of how we saw the world and how we wanted to interact with the world. And so a lot of it is capturing that sort of naivete or that like optimism around the possibilities that was so unique to that time, not just on the internet, but also just personally. What we lost is just like a genuine form of expression, I think, like all of us trying to figure out this new way to interact with each other. It kind of had an amazing value showing people what could be possible. You know, I think the minute people understood that potential and then tried to monetize it, mm-hmm. that that definitely, I think, changed that that wholesome nature of how it even started there's something really sad about like the memory lives on but like literally we cannot access our myspace pages like i wish i could go back and like you Mm -hmm. know i remember my last myspace profile photo was one taken on a digital camera where yeah (laughs) it was the kind of photo where like everything was desaturated except for like my green shirt and the green leaves and the green apple in my hand. Like it was one of the, you know, like (laughs) it's something that one of those settings on like a Nikon digital camera Mm -hmm. that like we can never do that now, but you know, or we could, but it would be 
a Photoshop thing, but it was something that was so specific. I wish I could go back and find that photo now, you know? I remember my my last photo and it was, you know, I was looking down, it was, you know, I had the camera up at an angle. I was, I think I was wearing a blue and green polo shirt that I got from Urban Outfitters and I had a white headband, like a plastic headband. And so my hair was like swept to the side. And so, yeah, I wish I could wish I could access that too but yeah I would love to see your photo I would love to see everyone's MySpace profiles now (laughs) yeah everyone tell us what your last MySpace photo was before you turned your back on MySpace and got on Facebook (laughs) oh my goodness I I should have taken a screen grab I mean honestly I you know it's one of those things where you don't really think about it you know like yeah I think everyone thought MySpace will be around. It'll be here. Mm -hmm. You know, this mostly affected like musicians, but they announced Mm -hmm. relatively recently that they like lost like all of the recordings that were put on the, on MySpace in a quote unquote server transition. Every recording from like 2003 to 2012 is gone. We thought that these would be sort of, that MySpace would be there, you know? And I think it's a good reminder that like no platform is eternal no problem yeah you're not guaranteed to have your instagram around in 10 years you know this this tool this social media tool like captured so many i would say important things right it's like important cultural artifacts and then it just went away that loss is huge in some ways but you know, we've kind of processed it over time, as in this platform is no longer a real platform. People have moved on to other things, but there's still like this chunk of like cultural history that is just non-existent. That was a huge touchstone for people like us, right? I'm probably missing a lot of key things that happened like during my MySpace era. What was my top eight? Like what was my last top eight? Like who was in there? I would love to find that out, that loss of, of history. Um, I think about that. It's it's pretty big. Yeah. It makes me sad. There's a macro and a micro to it, right? Like the macro, mm-hmm. like the general sort of tracking of trends and of artists and of bands that were, because MySpace had like music charts, right? So they, mm-hmm. you could see which bands were sort of on the come up and it updated every hour. It was like a real time, you know, assessment yeah, of like yeah. what people were actually like listening to and following. But then on a personal mm-hmm. level, it's like, how, what, bands did I say that I liked when I was 14 you know and like what books did I like and who were my heroes you know like, yeah. I I couldn't I mean I know that it'd be like I would hear one song of a band and put them on my MySpace profile just to have to say I listened to this band totally. <laughs> you know like I, yeah did, I, oh, did yeah. I listen to Pinback no but were they probably on my MySpace <laughs> like absolutely because I heard one song Fortress you know <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's what's interesting is I remember there was a time when people just wanted to have the most obscure sounding names on their profiles. And that that was like, that was fun to just figure out, look at these insane band names. And I mean, I think clap your hands, say, yeah, I mean, that was actually a band. I listened to and liked, but they were on my just they were on my like, MySpace as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, like Tilly and the Wall. Like I just remember those bands. Wow. Like that was the specific, yeah. you know. And music discovery now, in some ways, there it's maybe a little easier. There's so many different, you know, like Bandcamp, SoundCloud. There's a lot of different these communities for for music um, to kind of help curate a lot of a lot of the the new things coming in and out. Um, but in some ways I'm, I kind of miss that challenge of like really having to dig. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think TikTok now, now as a music discovery tool, it's like the music is secondary, right? The music is the soundtrack that doesn't it doesn't have the same sort of like I'm I like this band and this band likes this band and people who like this band mm-hmm. like this band. And there's a chase that you had to do. There was a real sort of yes. discovery that was so yeah. interactive and immersive, you know, and even on Spotify mm-hmm. and on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, whatever, like all of those things are also curated for you. Like when you're discovering new music on Spotify, it's because some algorithm. Yeah, MySpace was just such a great resource for so many different things. To be recognized on the street from that was honestly truly mind-blowing. How do you think that this period of your life as, you know, the MySpace uh, the MySpace icon of Lawrence, Kansas, like shaped, I mean, you said you're not, you relish anonymity and you don't really go on social media anymore, but like think going into your later teens, your college, your 20s, now your 30s, you know, how do you think that this period, this very formative period of time in such a public way, like sort of shaped who you eventually became? Being able to post your personality and taste so publicly also opens up to a lot of criticism and I don't think I realized how hurtful that stuff could be until I went into college right because I think you know you think you have the best taste in music when you're 16 but then you go to college and you're like oh wow like there's so much more that like I didn't even know about or you know obviously like there's just so many genres of music and and all that. And so I do think it was one of those moments of like, okay, like I can I can take criticism, I can have thick skin around being judged for having taste that's mine. Um, and so in some ways it really introduced me to like the harsh realities of also like being so publicly out there is it comes with a lot of judgment, <laughs> a lot of criticism, and you're just like oh wow like didn't realize that there was negativity around like you know me liking a certain band or like people people kind of thinking that's not cool or you know whatever that may be um and so I think in some ways it it made me understand that like it's okay to have taste it's okay to have a personality and not put on the internet like what is mine is mine um there will always be people who will think you have bad taste in things and will judge you for it. But, you know, it doesn't matter what they say because what you like is what you like. Um, and so in a lot of ways, being part of MySpace and, you know, music fandom in this in that time, um, I think helped me, I don't know, just, it just really helped me figure out like what, what I liked. And I had to be secure in that for so long. It's okay if people don't like the same things you do. The public sphere can be super, (laughs) super damaging. And so, you know, I think a lot of it is just, hey, like, I like the taste that I have. I like the music that I like. I don't, you know, I don't need to make it my personality. It is not my personality. And it just made me feel secure in my own taste. MySpace taught me how to just, like, be me and, you know, Whatever the haters would say, they'll always be there. But, you know, I, I won't apologize for the things that I like. <laughs> I think that's that's the core lesson. That's an amazing core lesson. Thank yeah. you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Tom. Thank you for this. You're the best. <laughs> um, 
I feel like that's a beautiful note to close this out on. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been so fun to just walk down the MySpace memory lane. so much again to our guest this week Tiffany Kwok for sharing her memories of MySpace and the Backstreet Boys forum. Do you remember your MySpace song or your MySpace photo? Do you still have them? Share them. Tag us. Class of 03 pod. If you have a strong feeling about whether Avril is or was a poser, we also need to know. So In honor of Tiffany's MySpace profile, our 2003 song of the week is Title and Registration by Death Cab for Cutie off their fourth album, 2003's Transatlanticism. Widely considered one of the most important indie releases of the 2000s, Transatlanticism gained popularity alongside another monumental 2003 cultural touchstone, which will be featured in another episode, I promise, The O.C., Before the album even came out, as lead singer Ben Gibbard's other seminal 2003 band, The Postal Service, was taking off simultaneously, Death Cab licensed some of their forthcoming songs from Transatlanticism to be used in the first and second season of The O.C. Rachel Bilson's character, Summer Roberts, was perhaps their fiercest critic. In the show, she says of the band's music, It's like one guitar and a whole lot of complaining. The whole album, Transatlanticism, is this meditation on long-distance relationships. The album title is a word Ben Gibbard thought he made up. Turns out he didn't really. It's, It's a word. But he made it up to, or he used it, to reflect the idea that geographic distance between two people can also represent the emotional barriers between them. Title and registration, the song, begins kind of with this joke, with this funny-ish observation. The glove compartment is inaccurately named, and everybody knows it. But as the song unfurls, the narrator is looking through his glove compartment for some legal documents, and instead finds mementos of a past relationship. The song slowly builds, the texture of the track reflecting the rain that's beating down on the hood of his car or the tape deck next to the glove compartment. It's the stuff that made Death Cab so irresistible then and now. The way it's lauded in the indie community at the same time that it's considered one of the best emo albums of all time, according to Rolling Stone, although Death Cab always took issue with that label. It's a song that you may have stumbled upon in your MySpace era and reflected on the profundity of this metaphor as you yourself were learning how to drive. MySpace was so essential to the music industry and especially to bands like Death Cab that by 2005, when they were launching their follow-up album Plans, they released the first singles exclusively on MySpace. So close your eyes, summon your inner Seth Cohen, and imagine you've just clicked on a friend of a friend of a friend's third in their top eight And this is the song playing, Title and Registration by Death Cab for Cutie.
that's all for this week, you guys. Thank you again for listening. And please, if you like this show, share it with your friends, rate it, review it, send us your notes and your memories and your MySpace stuff at class of 03 pod on Instagram or on email class of 03 pod at Gmail. It will not go to my spam folder. I promise. Uh, our theme music is by Luke Schwartz and Evan Joseph of Sawtooth. And our show art is by Maddie Herbert of Dame Studio. I'm Helen Grossman. I write, produce, edit, host, whatever, all of it, uh, this show. And I'm so excited for the rest of the season. So stay tuned and see you in a few weeks. Bye.